morning service. Yeah, hard, yeah, you guys are the hardcore. Yeah, morning and evening service. What? Okay. Um, in, the, in the morning service, if, if you weren't here for Pastor Mark Stevenson's word, it was phenomenal this morning. And I, I totally encourage you to, uh, to make sure you get that word um, online. I'm pretty sure it'll go up on, on our YouTube channel really soon. And a quick welcome to the Westport crew. Hey, Westport are streaming in. Um, but he spoke this morning, Pastor Mark spoke this morning on the life of Joseph and dreams. And um, I was sitting in my seat kind of freaking out because I was like, oh man, I wanna speak on Joseph too. Pastor Mark's really good. And I just started, oh my gosh, what am I gonna say that's like extra? But this, this morning and actually on my heart for a long time, um, well, for the last maybe one or two months, I've really felt a stirring in my spirit that God is calling the dream interpreters to arise. That God is, is calling us to be dream interpreters because anyone can articulate a problem, but you have to be filled by the Spirit of God to interpret a dream and then influence a nation. And so tonight I pray that you would awaken in your spirit and realize just another level of what or who God has called you to be. And it's not to hide away in a corner, but it is to be an influencer of the nation. And I, I sincerely believe that in my spirit. And so tonight, you know, I, I, I even think that the enemy has come and tried to squash your dreams and tried to break dreams and disappoint your dreams for the sheer fact that if that happened to you, you wouldn't even dare to interpret the dream of another. And this morning as Pastor Mark ministered to the restoration of hope, I believe that tonight, not only will your hope and your dreams be restored, but you will be one who'll be able to interpret the dream of kings. Like, what does that even mean? That you might be able to interpret the dream of your boss at work. That you might be able to interpret the dream of a principal in a high school. That you might be able to interpret the dream of a CEO, of a council member, of the government even. Like we don't even know what's going on with the government, but that's not my concern. My concern is can I interpret the dream? Can I interpret the dream? Do I have it in me? Do you know, I think sometimes we get a little bit confused. Thanks girl. I'm gonna make an observation here. It's an observation. It's not a statement. If you live, my household know that I make observations all the time. But the observation I wanna make simply before I pray and we sit down and get into the Word is that, you know, Jesus said, I will build my church. And He said, you go and disciple nations. But I think sometimes we're like, oh no, Jesus, how about you change the nation and I'll build your church, right? You change the nation and I'll get into my comfortable Christianity. You do the job of transforming nations. And let's be honest, God does the job anyway. 
But the specific part that He's asking us, come on, this is what I've commissioned you to do. It's literally to disciple nations. And even as Pastor Mark ministered this morning, come on, your dream, it's bigger than you realise. And so I pray, I pray tonight, there would be a, in your spirit, to say, God, take me through that journey. Man, it doesn't matter who's in power, I can interpret dreams. It doesn't matter where I am, I can interpret the dream. I can hear the God dream on anyone and I can interpret it. I can hear the God dream in my home. I can hear the God dream in my family. I can hear the God dream. I can hear it and I can interpret it. In Jesus' Name, Father, we come before You tonight and we just open our hearts. Lord, enlarge us. Enlarge our thinking, enlarge our dreaming. And Lord, I pray today we would look up. We would look up and set our eyes on You and see, God, as we see You, that we would see us <laughs> and who You've called us to be and how You've called us to operate. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Come on, high five someone and take a seat. Give the band a round of applause. Give Sean a round of applause. What? I think, I think that was the male version of a hula. That's what I think it was, Scott. Pass, that's it, Pastor Bruce, that's enough. What? We don't, we don't do the hula in Fiji. Um, I can't wait for, you know, fun and celebrations next week. Um, and so if you can turn in your Bibles. I mean, is that a good word tonight? Look, I, you know... That's, that's truly what I do feel um, in my heart. I, 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 you know, I even sense for, you know, for me that I'm, there's, a, there's an incredible peace that I carry in my day-to-day -day just knowing that whoever or whatever, whoever is in power, whatever's going on, that wherever God places me, whether it be like Joseph, a, a pit, Potiphar's house, a prison, or the palace, my job remains the same. My, my, and, and my external circumstance should have no, no bearing on, on what I have been called to do and what we have been called to do. So turn in your Bibles. I, I think I have asked you to in Genesis 39, and we're all relatively familiar with this story, with the story of Joseph. And I'm going to pick up in chapter 39. What's already happened here is, you know, Joseph has got his you know, coat that's amazing colors and amazing. And he's told his brothers his dream and uh, his brothers are jealous and envious and, you know, think Joseph's a bit arrogant. And so uh, what they do is they say, you know what, you're super annoying. I think we should kill you. Like, I know it's really extreme. And so they throw him into a pit and then they go and have a meal. Can we just talk about how super crazy that is? How super crazy that they throw their brother into a pit, then they walk out and they just have a meal. We're just gonna have a meal while we just sentenced our brother to death. And then um, eventually they say, oh look, maybe let's just sell him to some slave traders. So they do that. And um, eventually he becomes the slave in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar is the officer of the guards. You know, he's like the head of the FBI or... National security, 
and, uh, and Joseph is there and Joseph is doing his thing. And in verse two, it says the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded. It's a great preface and it's a good thing to remember that the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded. I think a lot of the time we try and strive to succeed when we should just strive for the relationship with Jesus, that we should be with Jesus, do whatever it takes to remove every obstacle, drop every weight, surrender, let go, reconcile, forgive, do those things, not for the sake of doing those things, but for the sake of it brings me closer with Jesus, the presence of the Lord. Let my heart be a dwelling place for the presence of God. And because of that, the consequences that I succeed even when I'm in slavery. The consequences, I succeed even when I'm in slavery. So I'm just gonna pick up just three points. There's probably so many more points you could get from Joseph's life, but just three lessons, really. Three lessons, and I think really important lessons that Joseph learned in his journey that set him up to be a wonderful, wonderful dream interpreter. So are you ready for these three lessons? Great. So in these three lessons, um, lesson number one, it was the lesson of identity. And Emma has wonderfully opened that up already tonight. Isn't she awesome? So good. What an offering message. But that lesson of identity. Now, as we read, we know that Joseph is in Potiphar's house. And I'm going to take it um, from verse like halfway, oh no, verse six. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. What a life. Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Who is this girl? Right, so she demanded, come and sleep with me. And in verse eight, these three incredible words, but Joseph refused. And the, I mean, those are, those are great words. Now we all know that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And in the Hebrew language, these three words, the one word refused, actually is written a little bit differently. It has an accent on top of the word. The accent is, call, is called a shal shalot. That's right. I hope I pronounced that right. But really, that accent is only seen four times ever in the Old Testament. It's the accent, like if you're musical here, it's like a musical accent because when the Word of God is read in Hebrew, it's not read like we read in English. It's chanted, it's sung. So these are even a compilation of musical notes. And part of these musical notes, there's this one accent, the shal shalot, which is like a zigzag. 
And the zigzag is like a chain. It's the chain of connection. It's a chain of events. And when you see this chain on top of a word, it means that that takes a lot longer to recite when you're reading it. It takes a lot longer because there is a depth of meaning when there is this one symbol, the shal, shalot. It means you must take into consideration the action, the temptation, and then the response. So what was going on here? It says, well, you know, the ancient Hebrew wisdom, it says that in this moment that this temptation comes, Joseph has this shell shallot moment. And this moment really is the epitome of who am I going to be? Who am I going to be in this moment? This moment is now a critical moment of transition. I have been, I have been in a pit. I have been sold. God gave me this dream. What is going on? I have every right to take on this temptation. I've every right to a little bit of comfort, but who am I going to be? Who am I going to be? It was the lesson of identity and it remained in Joseph's hands. That was not God's job. Joseph stood there in this moment as this temptation came. Who am I going to be? Who will I choose to be in this moment? And so they say, the Hebrew wisdom says, that was the moment of critical transition. That was the moment of propelling Joseph onto a path that was so beyond his imagination. God had started it, but come on guys, God starts something and he finishes something, but there is stuff that we partner with God to do with in the middle. And this was part of it. Come on, tonight in Jesus' name is a shell shallot moment. Come on, there's an action. There is a, we've set this up. There's a temptation to switch off, to disengage. This is not me. I can't do it. But come on, this is the shell shallot moment. Who are you gonna be? Are you gonna be the person that says, no, I choose God. I don't understand, but I choose God. I remember the dream, but I know God's character. He is faithful. He is good. We sung about it tonight. Jehovah Jireh, you're my provider, God. Jehovah Nisi, you reign in victory. Jehovah Shalom, you're my Prince of Peace. So in this moment, God, I don't know what's going on, but I'm choosing who I'm gonna be. Come on, who are you gonna be? Who are you gonna be? Are you gonna be the person that raises their hand and says, yeah, God, no matter where, and like for real mean it? No matter where you take me, God. That is a crazy statement because there are some crazy places he could take you. I was gonna name some places, but no, I won't. But to say that God, this is, come on, this is the lesson of identity. And this is the moment where, we, where Joseph chooses to align. No, God, I know who you've called me to be, but Joseph refused. Is that good? Awesome. Oh, look, I'm a little bit puffed out. That was exciting. Good. Awesome. So that's lesson number one. It was the lesson of identity. The lesson number two is the lesson of service of others. 
right? Because we all know how to serve ourselves. We all know how to do that. We're, we are very proficient at serving ourselves. But the next lesson is, this, is the lesson of service. And so we go on and in verse 19, uh, you know, Joseph refused and, and Potiphar's wife, she got all like nasty and then she stole his coat and Joseph was like half naked and, and there, she cried rape and she, you know, falsely accused Joseph. And then Potiphar comes home and she says, oh my gosh, this is, you bring this Hebrew slave and he, you know, tried to fool around with me. That's what the NLT version says, fool around. And, um, and Joseph's like, oh, what? I didn't even do anything. And so Potiphar throws him into a prison. And in verse 19, we, we pick up there, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph um, and in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So Joseph goes then into the prison and he's rewarded with more responsibility. Yay. Uh, he's, he's rewarded with this gift of service. And look, I'm just gonna interrupt and say, you know, I think sometimes we need to be the kind of people, look, all the time, we need to be the kind of people that when we go through something that looks like a prison, that we don't complain for too long, but we understand that God is trying to teach me a lesson and what is the lesson so I can learn the lesson and get out of here? Can I just learn? I'm just, God, what are you trying to teach me? Lord, and you know, I think let's, let's be people of mature faith, mature faith, who say, okay, I'm not gonna be childish. I'm gonna be childlike in my faith and I'm gonna believe God and I'm gonna, come on God, you are, I'm gonna trust in your character. What are you going to teach me? And so this is really important because if you can't serve the few in a prison, you won't be able to serve the many in a palace. If you can't serve the few in a prison, when God is with you, you're not gonna be able to do it in the palace for many, many people. And so it's really important, this lesson that we've actually been created to serve each other. No matter where you are, no matter who is next to you, no matter what's going on, we've actually been created for community and for each other. So I'm gonna take it back to Genesis and you guys know the story of Cain and Abel, yes? Right? So here's Cain, and um, Eve gives birth to Cain, and the Hebrew word for Cain means like acquisition, right? So to acquire. So Cain, you know, in, in the Hebrew, his names are really, really, really important. 
And so Cain uh, is born and he has this name of the acquirer. He has the spirit of I want more. He has the spirit of I just want, I want, I want, I want. And you know, like I have an iPhone 7, but just wait for me to get that iPhone 8 kind of thing. I'm just waiting, I want more. So then Cain and Abel are asked to give an offering. They give an offering and God is not pleased with what Cain brings, but he's very pleased with what Abel, his brother, brings. And now Cain gets annoyed because there was an opportunity there for me to get some glory. But I didn't get it. So Cain goes zero to 100 and says, what should I do? I know I'll kill my brother. So he kills his brother, which for Cain, it is in the very, sp the very strain of his thinking because he is the acquirer. Look, if I kill Abel, that means I get everything because mom and dad only have two kids, y'all. So I'm gonna be the inheritor of it all. This is gonna be awesome. So it makes sense when God gives his punishment to Cain. And God says to Cain, you, nothing you plant will grow and you will never be able to build. Because sometimes we think that was a punishment for murder. No, no. It was a lesson in the opposite spirit. <laughs> it's a lesson because it came against the very acquiring spirit. What else can you do with land? There's only two things you can do with land. You can plant stuff in it and you can build stuff on it. So now Cain is fully disempowered. Now I tell you that big contextual story because the very next verse in Genesis 4 and verse 17, it says two very interesting things. It says Cain um, slept with his wife and gave birth to a kid and they named him Enoch. Do you know what Enoch means in Hebrew? I am, I am educated. What does that mean? I've learned my lesson. And then he goes and he builds a city and he names the city Enoch. So what's that mean? He learned the other lesson, that I have violated a principle of God and I have sacrificed relationship for money. I've sacrificed relationship for prosperity, but now I build a city because I am educated. And now I know my mandate on this earth is to serve as many people as possible. And where do people live? Where do a, a mass population live? In a city. It's the same lesson that Joseph's brothers did not get. When they, they, were, you know, they were sitting and eating and they were like, oh man, what does it profit me if my brother dies? I know in the name of profit, I am going to sell my relationship. In the name of my own selfish gain, I'm going to sacrifice relationship. That's the violation of the kingdom. And so here, Joseph, as he serves wherever he is, no matter if you are Potiphar, no matter if you're a prisoner, no matter if you are the Pharaoh, I serve you. And what did Joseph become? Like the second wealthiest person ever? But it came from a place of, I know my lesson in serving others. And I think we need to understand that it is super important that we serve others. And I know it sounds really simple to you, like what's new, Esther? But this is a conversation I was having with one of our housemates yesterday. 
and that particular conversation was this thinking, if not down in our spirit, we start saying things like, and I have to repent of this, we start saying things like, man, you should really get a job that you love, right? You know what you should do after university? Or when you're thinking about what you wanna study in university, you should think about doing something you love. Well, since when was your job and your power to get wealth about your personal fulfillment? We get indoctrinated to thinking, educated to thinking that even our jobs are for our own wealth. But actually, if in the kingdom, we should actually find the kind of job that can serve as many people, that we can serve as many people as possible to the very best of, as possible, and then we learn to love that. And I, man, I resonate with that, with that sense. Why? Because look, guys, I don't really like speaking in front of lots of people. I don't. I don't really like singing in front of lots of people. <laughs> Neither does Scott. That's why we never give him the microphone to sing. But since when, man, when I was 14 and gave my life to Jesus, it ceased to become about my preference. It immediately became about God, what can I do to serve as many people as possible? And I will learn to love it. I'll learn to give my life to it. And the joy of my life is not standing on a platform. The joy of my life is I get to serve a nation. That's the joy of my life. And what does that look like? I don't know if we've shared it in church before. With Pastor Scott, I'm gonna share it anyway. There's a school in regional New Zealand that we have been doing revolution tour with for a long time. And after a while, they said, oh, hey, like our school's awesome. You don't need to do revolution tour in our school anymore. And so we were like, oh, great. Okay, that we're so happy. And so we continue to do tour. Now, a couple of years later, Pastor Scott gets an email and this email says, hey, we really need the Revolution Tour to come back into our school because our junior school have been suffering like crazy with non-suicidal self-harm. And it's out of control. And we've tried everything and we don't know what to do. But we asked our seniors, because they used to be like that, and they're not like that anymore. So we asked our seniors, hey, seniors, what happened to you guys? I mean, is it something these guys are just gonna grow out of? And the seniors said, oh, it's Revolution Tour was in and they taught us. Wow. Revolution Tour came in every year. Come on, that is shit. I don't, are you, oh, come on. I don't really wanna to go to regional New Zealand and stand in front of like 30 smelly teenagers. If that was about me, it would matter. But it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant. My preference is irrelevant. If I have the opportunity to serve a generation, Lord, when will I leave youth ministry? It's irrelevant. It's absolutely irrelevant. What is relevant is lining up with the kingdom of God that is in you and saying, what can I do to serve a nation? What can I do to serve my community? What can I do to make sure no one is alone, to, to heal, to pray? Come on, good times, lesson of serving. Musos, come on up team. I hope this is helping you in any which way or inspiring you. 
It's the lesson of identity, the lesson of the service of others. And the last one is the lesson of waiting. I don't like waiting. Part of my God makeup is that I just like to just get things done. And some people might call that impatience and of the devil, no, I'm kidding. But it just, I'm just like in a rush, in a hurry all the time. And I'm really keen, I just, I just wanna make sure things are done. And if God speaks to me, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, can I do it now? Can I do it now? Can I do it now? What about now? Oh, what about now? And you know, just wait, Esther, and then it'll literally be like six hours later, what about now? And I, I remember when I was working for Equippers College, which by the way, if you haven't prayerfully considered what you're doing for 2018, make sure you prayerfully consider Equippers College. But I was, um, I was working for Equippers College and, and God spoke to me and he said, Esther, I want you to go to university. And I was like, yes, I'll do it now. And then he said, not now. And then it was two and a half years later before then God said, now go. And I was like, out of here. <laughs> I was just so, so, I wanna go. Finally, yes, God. But that waiting period, man, it built something in me. It built, probably most of all, it built a trust in me. And if we go to Genesis in chapter 40, and these three words, I don't know if they're gonna come up on the screen, but these three words in verse one, that simply says, some time later. So Joseph's in the prison, and then verse, chapter 40, verse one says, some time later. Here's what we know from Genesis 41. We know that Joseph was 30 when he became the prime minister of Egypt, the second in charge. And we know that two years before that, he was in the prison interpreting the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, which means he was 28. And then we know he was 17 when God gave him the dream. So it was like 11 years. It was 11 years, sometime later. <laughs> sometime later. <laughs> sometime later, you know, the, the cup bearer and the baker come in and they're feeling sad one day and it had nothing to do with the fact that they were in a prison. And Joseph says, why are you feeling sad? And they say, we can't interpret these dreams. And, and Joseph says this thing, he says, interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead, tell me your dreams. And it's this, let me just, let me just read you some two different definitions of the word wait. The word wait as a verb without an object means to remain inactive or in a state of repose until something expected happens. So it's to be inactive, to just. Wait. But then there is the definition of wait, which is a verb, action word, with an object. And that means to continue as one is in expectation of. You see, waiting without an objective is boring. 
but waiting with an objective, waiting with a dream. Waiting with a dream is to continue as if it's gonna happen. It is gonna happen like any day now. Sometime later, like any day now, any day now. Oh my gosh, they can't be. And I'm gonna interpret the dreams and just put in a good word for me to the Pharaoh, okay? And then two years later, it is this waiting. And I wonder, do you know, because it never mentions, but just simply, the Word of God simply says that the Lord was with Joseph. It never says that the Lord spoke a word of encouragement to Joseph. It never says that God daily, nightly reminded Joseph of the dream. And that's because, well, there's, there's no need to put things in there if they're already quite obvious. But in that waiting, while I'm waiting, I'm not waiting, and no heaven lives in me. Cause I know He loved me, and I know He found me. I know He saved me, and Your grace will never fail me. So while I'm waiting, no, I'm not waiting. I know heaven lives in me. I wonder if Joseph sang something like that. I know He loved me. I know He found me. I know He saved me And Your grace will never fail me So while I'm waiting No, I'm not waiting I know heaven lives in me There's so many different ways that you can wait But I know for me Waiting is a posture of worship. While I wait, while I wait on you, God, I worship. Because for me, sometimes I don't know how to do anything else. I don't know how to do anything else, but I do know, I do know how to worship. I do know how to lift my heart to Him. I do know how to sing. And I'm not talking about a melody. I do know how to allow my heart to sing and say, God, I'm waiting on you. And because you are sovereign and because you're in control, oh, I know you're teaching me the lesson of waiting on a faithful God. Oh, I can sense your encouragement, Holy Spirit. I know you're walking with me day to day. I look behind me and I see the evidence of your goodness. I look beside me and I see the evidence of your miraculous power. I look in front of me and I see you. I don't see see what's going on around me. I see you. I see you, God. So while I'm waiting, I will serve. While I'm waiting, I will love. While I'm waiting, I will give. While I'm waiting, I will reach out. While I'm waiting, I will risk. I'll say, I don't know how to interpret dreams, but God can. And I know God, while I'm waiting, I'm going to 
attitude in Jesus' name. Come on, sing, I know you love me. Because I know you love me. I know you found me. I know you saved me. And your grace will never fail me. So while I'm waiting, no, I'm not waiting. I know heaven lives in me. Has God trusted you with the weight? Has God trusted to you the weight? Because some people would break under the weight. But has God trusted you, son and daughter of the Most High? No, they know how to wait. They know how to wait on me. Come on, right now, I think some people, you have misinterpreted your prison and you've misinterpreted the wait as a delay. A delay is different from the wait. And often we think the delay, the detour, oh no, I've done something wrong, I'm a disappointment. But the weight produces in us a weight of glory. Come on, that's what God is doing in the weight. Come on, if you're here and you know I'm in the weight, what's going on? Sometime later. I'm in the weight, I'm in the weight. God, what are you doing? I'm in the weight. Would you just lift your hands and would you just say, God, while I'm waiting, Teach me how to continue on with the expectation while I'm waiting, God. Let me be someone who is not inactive, but active in your kingdom. While I'm waiting, I'm not waiting. I know heaven lives in me. Come on, sing. Cause I know you love me. I know you found me. 